0: Joel Hodgson created Mystery Science Theater 3000, or MST3K as it's known to fans, in Minnesota in 1988. The show takes place in the not-too-distant future and features a human host and robot sidekicks, Cambot, Tom Servo, Crow, and Gypsy, who are shot into space and forced to watch bad movies as part of a human torture experiment. The crew makes things bearable by making fun of the films. The show, which gained a cult following, went off the air in 1999, but made a remarkable comeback earlier this year after a very successful Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign. The show can now be seen on Netflix and in person as part of a countrywide live show. I recently spoke with Hodgson about the show's humble beginnings in Minnesota, the live tour, and much more. Congratulations on the success of the rebooted MST3K. I'm wondering, when and why did you decide to revive the show?
1: Oh my goodness, well, I think I've been thinking about it ever since the show went off, uh, since it stopped. 17 years ago I guess I always felt like why did it have to end because it's a show that's relatively inexpensive and it's fueled with bad movies and they always make new bad movies so I think uh I thought about it and then maybe 10 years ago I started to really seriously think about it and that had a lot to do with um Shout Factory uh who are my partners in MST and um They started to notice that it wasn't going away. They were still selling a lot of DVDs and it seemed like it was, it was this ongoing thing. The fans were still liking it and still searching for it.
0: And the show was brought back to life through Kickstarter crowdfunding, and that, that response that you're talking about was definitely proven by how much interest there was in, in that Kickstarter campaign. Uh, how quickly did, were you able to determine that this thing was really going to take off uh, via that, that crowdfunding?
1: You know, I, I, I guess I felt like we had a really good shot at getting enough money to do 12 episodes. I really believed that that would happen, and uh the thing that shocked me was that we went beyond that and raised enough for fourteen episodes. Uh, that was really amazing to me and not what I had counted on.
0: Will there be another season?
1: uh I hope so we're We're talking to Netflix about it right now, working on it, and um, there there yeah, I really hope so. You know, the good thing is if, you know, we'd love to work, keep working with them and if they, for whatever reason, don't want to use it anymore, we're, we'd we love to, you know, we could go back to the Kickstarter campaign and back to the uh, backers and just see if they're interested in doing more shows. If, if they had a good experience and were happy with the result, uh, we might be able to do it again.
0: So, Joel, making fun of movies has been happening probably since movies came into existence. Tell me a little bit about how you took such a universal, I think, relatable idea and turned it into something so successful.
1: It's true. Um, They used to do it at, at silent movies. You know, people would yell out stuff and observations and stuff. And for me, it started with the picture. The picture was the silhouettes and the characters in silhouette and the idea that, Oh, we'd run a movie and there'd be these characters that talk and would say stuff during the movie. And so based on that, I kind of backwards engineered mystery science theater. So it would kind of function, you know, with these adorable bad movies. And so, I don't know, it was just kind of like, um, you know, I knew I had to kind of create a, a story that, that it wouldn't make sense if these people were sitting and watching a movie and complaining about the movie like why don't if they don't like it, why don't they go? you know why don't they leave? if they're just three guys in the theater um so that's why I created the backstory of a guy against his will, you know having to watch these films and having robot companions to help him get through it.
0: The show kind of began here in Minnesota back in 1988, and I have lived in Minnesota my whole life. When I watch it, I feel like there's a a tone or a sensibility that somehow ties the show to Minnesota. Is that just my imagination, or is there really something to that theory?
1: Well, I think that's really true because as a comic, I really grew up in Minneapolis. I did my stand-up in Minneapolis and developed Mystery Science Theater and we made the show in Minneapolis and I just think a lot of it has to do with the audience there. They're really unique. They love uh, going out. They love comedy and they're not cynical people. They're, they were really encouraging. So my whole career, I'm just so grateful. I didn't get, I didn't encounter a lot of people that like hated what I did. They were They were really um, responsive and encouraging. And I think that's kind of the secret ingredient. That's kind of how you can grow a show like Mystery Science Theater, a really weird, unusual show, is you got to have people around that are open, you know,
0: I'd say a big part of the show's charm is is the, the homemade kind of do-it-yourself look and feel to the show. And you've pretty much maintained that in the new version. How important is that to the DNA of the show? And uh, in what ways, other than different hosts and cast of characters, has the show changed for you over the years?
1: You know, I mean, a lot of people kind of act like we art-directed the cheesy look. And really, we were doing our very best. Um, <laughs> To make the show and that's still true but the thing that I designed in was the idea that it it has to be done in camera it has to be done live and when you do stuff like that 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 automatically kind of changes the way you fulfill ideas everything has to be done in camera so everything needs to be kind of puppet aesthetic meaning We do models, you know, we do, the locations are models in a studio. And so it it affects everything we do, but it's really that more than anything that affects the look of the show. And um, it doesn't work when it, I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't work when it's CG, but you lose some of the freshness of it and the liveness of it.
0: For those who don't know, how do you choose the movies that are featured in the show?
1: I just try to, like, look for things that I think are visually interesting and memorable and adorable and kind of uh, fun. You know, just things that are all, you know, from my perspective, I'm trying to make an interesting show. So I try to use movies that are visually interesting, that have, like, interesting set pieces or plots. That's why there's things like science fiction and genre movies, basically, you know. So they have some production value to them.
0: Are there movies out there that you've come across that are just too bad to feature in the show?
1: Uh, Yeah, lots of them. There's a lot of them that are just ugly. You know, they're poorly made. They're not cohesive. The sound is bad. I think that's the biggest thing right now is... You know, we spend a lot of time with these films, so I just don't want to have ugly movies, you know, that are hard to look at. I just don't want to put put the audience through it. And more than that, I don't want to put my production through it because we, we really spend a lot of time with these things. It's kind of like living on a busy street, you know, for a couple of weeks while you're working on it. So you just don't want them to be hard on the eyes, hard on the ears, you know.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about what the writing process is like? You mentioned spending a lot of time with the movies. Does that also involve the, the writing of what the characters are saying as they watch the films?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, we we produce, man, I'm trying to think exactly how many riffs we, we make um, before we get to uh, MST at thousands thousands and thousands of riffs that we whittle down to the seven or 800 riffs that get into a movie so we have 12 writers and they're all going through the movie together and sometimes it's in a group like we'll do a Skype meeting and go through the movie together and talk about it and come up with ideas or people will write remotely and be alone with the movie and write, write their riffs and then we bring those together and and go from there.
0: Are, are there any rules in the writer's room about what kind of humor can be used on the show? Because it seems as though it's pretty family friendly. Are there places you, you can't go in the finished film version that the, the writers can get out of their systems in the writing room?
1: Well, I guess the big thing in our writing room that is, is really different than any other writing room is we don't evaluate the writer's work in front of them our job when we're writing is to just generate a lot of ideas. So we generate a lot of ideas and then later kind of evaluate and, and kind of edit the material. So that's the biggest thing. And um, also, um, you know, obviously you can't do very many jokes about the quality of the film because that's just like one joke, you know, Oh, this movie's not that great. Aha. (laughs) Right. You know, and so you can't do a lot of those. And then just being too cynical. I mean, we tend to do the more cynical, uh, what we call the cynical jab kind of happens in the third act. So I kind of encourage the writers to just go, that's kind of where you put your frustration is the, in the third act after you've kind of demonstrated that you can hang with the movie. So we don't, you know, I just kind of say, if you do too many cynical uh jokes they're just not going to get in so I think I try to just those are the really the the only rules we have is don't evaluate each other just create and jokes about quality and, and just being cynical about it being a bad movie you only get a couple of those you know so don't waste a lot of time on it.
0: Do you have a soft spot in your heart for these bad movies or are they just bad to you?
1: No, I think they're adorable, man. I think they're like, great. I mean, there's something you got to admit, there's something about them. And I just think that I don't know if it's just the humanity comes through, or it's just the idea that it's kind of a punctured reality that doesn't quite work. Uh, I don't know what it is. But yeah, I mean, I like them just as much as I like good movies. And I think they're just as entertaining especially with the right company, you know, if you're if you're watching a bad movie with your best friends, it's really fun. It's just as fun as watching a good movie. So, yeah, I really obviously really like them and admire, you know, the people who make these movies are are brave, you know, they're saying I think I can do it and it you have to be kind of brave to put your money where your mouth is and try to make a movie. A lot of people don't do it. So yeah, I'm not that cynical. I don't feel like we have to get rid of bad movies. I don't, I'm not here to like mop uh, the bad movies off the face of the earth or to, or to serve justice on them and make them feel like they don't belong. I, I think that they're uh, a kind of a confection that you, we get to collaborate with and we get to talk with and, kind of shape, you know, make a new story out of it and uh, derivative work, you know.
0: Joel, you mentioned watching bad movies with friends, and that's kind of what you're doing because you've taken the show on the road with a live tour. I'm curious, how are things going? What kind of response are you getting from the audiences?
1: It's been amazing. You know, we got this new cast, and they're real pros, you know. They all have at least 10 years of experience, you know, each one of them in different ways, whether it's improv or stand-up or production, and they're really good and they don't really, they're good and they just keep improving, you know, they're a lot of experience up there even though they're in their 30s, and each show they improve, so I'm just like, it's really fun now because we kind of understand the composition of the show and, you know, what's going to happen and we know what's going to happen in a lot of cases, and so it's really fun to get to spring that on an audience. That doesn't know what's going to happen.
0: Well, I can't wait to see the live show. And on a personal note, I just have a quick last question for you. Uh, uh, thank you again for making something that's family friendly. I watch the show with my children, and my 13 year old daughter loves the show, but she always gets freaked out because she thinks that Crow is facing her and not watching the movie. Do you have any advice for her?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty common uh, that I, I've heard that before. And, um, I don't know what to tell you other than he's turned the other way.
0: <laughs> That's but all he I needed. Has that
1: kind of, he has that kind of dimensional face where it, people think that, but yeah, I know, um, I'm really proud of that, that, um, and so much of the success of the show has to do with these 30 year olds, man, that had found it when they were 12 years old and some of them watched it with their parents and really good experience with it and you know it was an example of being really funny without being dirty and um, you know I mean there is adult humor in it but it's considerate in that we know that kids might be watching and there's certain trigger words that parents hear and kids hear that take them right out of the movie and a parent has to be prepared to for the kid to go what does this mean? Because I've never heard it, if it's an adult term or an adult idea. And and every parent I know is completely willing to answer any question a kid might have. But when you're doing that, you're not paying attention to the movie and neither one of you are enjoying the movie or the show. So we try to have things like that that are alert to that. And we don't want to make it, Comedy still needs to have an edge to it, but there's a lot of different ways to do that. So um, I'm really glad you think that, because I'm really proud of that, and it's served us really well, obviously, because we're still going.
0: Well, much continued success to you. We look forward to having you bring the live show here to Minneapolis in August, and uh, you've been generous with your time, Joel. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you.